0: From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology and the colored shavings. Welcome back to The Dairy Show, everyone. I am your host, Katie Schmidt. And this week we have a special guest with us, our 2022 Dairy Producer of the Year, John Rudinger. Welcome to the podcast, John.
1: Hey, thank you very much. It's uh, my pleasure to be here and and, uh, talk to you folks today.
0: I will tell you, the interviews with our recognition award winners are some of my favorite ones to do. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And to get us started, you're obviously the dairy producer of the year. So let's start talking about the farm in Van Dyne, Wisconsin. What does the history of your place look like?
1: Yeah, you bet, uh, we, we do have a long history since I am the third generation producer. So uh, maybe I'll just start with uh, some of our heritage, I guess, because uh, that little bit sets the stage for really how our business grows and how we think. So, so I'm, I'm German and Dutch. And uh, so the German immigrants, obviously, uh, a lot of them were farmers. And uh, Dutch, uh, a lot of times are builders. So those two things really blend with us. And my grandfather bought the farm in the Van Dyne area in the 1930s. My father uh, came to the current site in the 1950s where we live today. And in the 60s, uh, my father and mother built the dairy. Basically from the ground up, they bought this old farmstead. The buildings they thought were good, they weren't. So they built a barn in 60, 1960 and a house in 62. So basically, uh, yeah, we built the business uh, back in the 60s and rolled through uh, to the 1970s when I graduated high school in the farm and industry short course, got married in 77. And uh, we formed a partnership and uh, worked with my parents uh, on the farm with the partnership with mom and dad, Karen and I until 1996. And uh, so we basically uh, grew from I suppose you could say 15 cows from my grandpa to uh, 80 cows in 96 and then 1500 cows currently uh, that we farm with uh, here and uh, we're in business now uh, with our daughter and son-in-law in uh, in that farm transition. So we're working through that process and uh, really enjoying every minute of it uh, here. And it's just phenomenal when you think about Uh, the lapse of time in between when generations start in how businesses grow, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you've seen a lot of growth (laughs) over the years. So in your nomination form that was submitted, there was talk of this barn fire that happens in 1996. Can you kind of take us through that moment? What happened? Why did you come back from it? What was that experience like?
1: Yeah, uh, that was quite a quite an experience in 1996. In fact, it was March of 96, uh, a real cold morning with the west wind and, and all of a sudden uh, we had a power outage and I thought, what's going on? And, and pretty soon our whole barn was engulfed. We lost 100 head of cattle and basically uh, had to start over in our thinking process, right? So uh, my dad was 66 at the time, I was 40. Dad was slowing down, I was in my prime, what do you do? It's like uh, never have really worked off the farm before. It's the only job I ever had. So uh, yeah, kind of checked out some other options, but really uh, there was no viable ones. And so we just decided to stick our neck out and, and move forward. So yeah, that was really the start of, uh, of things. Uh, here and, and in hindsight, I think, I think you know it it uh, it probably was good because it it did set us up to al- allow our business to expand and make it maybe more relevant, uh, you could say, for the times and how fast agriculture is changing. You know, as I say at the time, it was it was heartbreaking, but uh, in reality, it was probably a good thing.
0: So what type of facility did you build back with?
1: We had a flat barn parlor prior to this. We had basically not even a year old uh, that we built. And so uh, we rebuilt back with a double eight parallel parlor and a 200 stall freestall facility. And you know, back in 96, uh, that's when, you know, agriculture and dairying was just starting to think about growth spurts, there's been, there were a few around, you know, the two, 300 cow farm sizes. And, and man, that was a big jump from 80 to over 200, you know, and, and uh, thinking, well, how are we gonna manage something like this? But in reality, all you need to do is break it down into systems and cow numbers into smaller pockets and think about it a little bit different. And uh, it really worked well uh, for us to do that. But, uh, you know, there's still a lot of challenges to go along the way because uh, rebuilding something uh, from nothing, you know, kind of like my folks did in the 60s, and we had to do it in 96. So uh, we basically rebuilt the dairy twice uh, in, in the past generational changes that we've had uh, in, our, in our family's history here. So uh, I think it's a yeah, pretty phenomenal thing for families to do.
0: It's a, a unique opportunity, we can say. Was there something in that process of restarting that you think you got right that set you up for success later on as you continued to expand and grow the farm?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple things there. When you look at expand, you can't do everything yourself. And I think the thing that I did right the first time was develop a good team approach uh, to uh, what we had, and and obviously we faltered along the way on a, quite a few things because you know we were used to doing everything ourselves, and now we're we're growing and learning how to manage people and systems a little bit. But I think uh, allowing yourself to build trust in people and uh, putting a, a good team together really allowed us then to. Uh, more easily navigate the process. And, and in all reality, during that time too is when I was involved a lot more with professional dairy producers of Wisconsin and more deeply involved in the cooperative system. And I think those involvements, other than the farm, allowed me to see business in a different light and learn and what and to understand how Larger businesses operate and then you can pick and choose what you need to from those experiences and bring them back. So a few things uh, there and, and just developing what you needed to do uh, with, with the team approach and, and outside involvement for me, I think, was the thing that helped us.
0: So this team that you have in place at the farm and that kind of helped you grow throughout these years still in place today
1: yeah there, there's some players involved yet that we had from the start and and I'd say probably 50% of them uh, you, you need to start out with a good banking partner I think that's obviously the best uh, uh, part uh, and you know and I'll maybe maybe I'll go through those lists and put some why's behind those because uh, it does make a lot of sense like I said to build that team so banking partner I would say is, is number one. Needing a letter, lender who understands agriculture, the markets, willing to be a partner in good times and in bad. And I think understanding your business well enough to give you the flexibility when things aren't going uh, quite so good. And a financial consultant, we brought in probably, oh, maybe five, six years or so into the expansion process, uh, just helping, you know, you uh, your are as you grow, you need to think differently financially, too. So we needed to refine budgets, monthly profit and loss statements, get the balance sheets filled out correctly so you can look at at the whole business monthly and get that snapshot. And I think uh, that's very, very important to, to flow through. And you need to have a business consultant that has some benchmarking abilities and, and the ability also to analyze your business and tell you where you need to do better in. And I think the next player uh, in this is your nutrition advisor because he needs to know uh, your agronomy side of the business as well as balancing rations. We need to have someone and they do uh, work on feed budgets. So they're an integral part of the whole budgeting process, you know, and looking at cost analysis for input costs on the feed side. And I think the most important thing a nutrition advisor does for you is in the troubleshooting area, because uh, anyone basically can balance a ration, right? But you have to be able to see and listen to employees and look at, at data to, to look at trends and, that arise through feeding challenges and different processes. So those, uh, those three are very key. And then we brought a commodity marketing brokerage firm into play because uh, one of the things that I learned along the way, uh, risk management plays a huge role. So one time I, I marketed some milk and I still remember this, I made like $40,000 on the milk market and I thought, wow, this is pretty cool uh, to make a little extra money, but you got to remember you might lose some too. But uh, you know <laughs> commodity brokerage and risk management strategies are extremely important. And so, Those four that I just mentioned, we really work on a monthly basis with, and we go over our financial analysis, production, business goals, all those things. And then three other ones really that fit in well are your veterinarian. Those folks really need to have a key eye with you. We do a lot of things in-house now that we used to not do. Uh, The veterinarian did a lot of uh, external things for us, but we brought it in-house and we do have it Excellent bilingual veterinarian that works with us and our employees, and really helps us on our SOPs and related milk quality and herd health issues. So I think that that part really has solidified things there. My son-in-law Dave brought that uh, a lot of things in house and doing more training with the employees and so on. The next one I would say that really helps is genetics and the reproductive and evaluating your herd and getting that genetic base up to speed and helping you create precision breeding programs and strategies. And so uh, then obviously the last one would be agronomy that you need to work through. But I think one point to make on all of these people here, uh, you need to have a long-term relationship with consultants because they need to know and understand what your business is. And they, they need to be able to advise, their advice has to be relevant, that needs to be consistent, reliable. They all need to be open minded with each other and have the whole business, the best interest of the business at heart. They have to go beyond their expertise area. And I think we really work hard here to try to do that because that allows outside the box thinking and uh, gives you that little bit of an edge sometimes uh, to, to be able to advance and to move your business.
0: So this is a a large team. This is larger than I thought it was going to be. As a business owner, how do you know when it's time to step back and bring an expert to the table in a consultant role versus trying to do it yourself?
1: Yeah, well, um, when you when you find out you don't know the answers to the problems you have, right? But uh, yeah, you know we're not experts in everything, and uh, we we can only hope that we can bring someone in so. You know, early on, as an example, uh, you know we we had some uh, uh, some challenges in in setting up uh, standard operating procedures around here. So we looked at uh, hiring someone to help us with that uh, through a business strategy uh, company. So you know, moving from doing all the work yourself and and moving into a, a business structure that that you have to manage people and systems differently, I think, that was probably the area that I, I uh, had someone come in to help me uh, first because we were struggling with that. And so when you find yourself struggling, trying to uh, fix solutions uh, to problems, then you better bring somebody in because it doesn't take long to go backwards uh, in, in these businesses nowadays. But uh, yeah, it, it, it is... Uh, you have to think about it and know your shortcomings, I guess. Maybe that's another point to make because, you know, uh, you have to know where you're, what you're not good at and uh, be willing to uh, understand what that is and to allow yourself uh, to look for the expert.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask who the, the first person is that you get for this outside team, but maybe it's completely individual and it's based on your shortcomings and somebody that can balance out your strengths.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and you have to uh, uh, you have to have good listening skills as a as a, a farmer as a businessman because uh, your your employees and the people around you uh, they they have the ability to tell you things that you maybe you're not you don't realize that they're telling you and you have to ha- have the ability to read through between the lines and understand. What they' what they're trying to explain to you or that what is not going right, and listen to to the consultants and to your employees to figure out where the challenges are so yeah it, it takes a totally different mindset to operate a larger business, no question about it.
0: so you've gone through these different growth phases, we'll say to get to the size that you're at today. do you know if there was a point or at a certain phase where you had to make that shift from that dairy farmer mentality into business owner mentality was there a size or a point or you know what was your your warning or your your red flag of this i need to change
1: well yeah it's it's uh, probably for us uh, to make that change a little more was when you know, we always try to get to church on Sunday and I was hardly making the 11 o'clock service and falling asleep in the back pew, right? Cause you were always the guy that did all the sub work on weekends and, and so on. And so I was like, well, probably about five, 600 cows where you you then were thinking, okay, uh, K John, um, it's time to uh, maybe uh, hire someone else, make another growth steps so that you get more cows to afford to hire the next person because uh, you just can't accomplish everything in 24 hours anymore. And I'd say the first 10 years of the expansion was probably uh, the hardest uh, for us because of the incremental steps to get to that, I would say, mid-size herd that uh, in, in expanding that you can afford people. Uh, to do more of the work for you so that you can be allowed to to uh, take a step back and do more management.
0: One of the people you mentioned on this team is your genetics and reproductive team or, or team member. Our listeners naturally have a an affinity for dairy cattle genetics as people who come to Expo who like nice cows. Can you walk us through what that breeding philosophy looks like for you and how it might differ from, we'll say a show herd?
1: Yeah, no, there would be definitely differences between how we breed our cows to the show cows, maybe that they see a dairy expo. Some differences, but maybe not. They all produce milk, right? Yeah, my my father really always was uh, very good at developing a functional uh, dairy herd. He always believed in artificial insemination. In fact, I remember in the in the 70s through the 90s, you know, you always uh, had, you know, always were competing against the neighbor farms in the county for the highest herd average and getting the most milk. And, you know, so we were always right up there in Fond du Lac County uh, competing a, against uh, everyone and doing very well uh, in that time period. But, you know, then... Uh, as I started working with GenX Cooperative a little bit more, we kind of went into the genetics uh, or GenX Cooperative breeding philosophy to breeding dairy cattle. And uh, we, we really latched on to that. And, and we really uh, have been able to grow a consistent herd now uh, that, that has, has good health traits and, and production traits. So, so we use their philosophy, their ICC value, of philosophy and, and genetic values and uh, we really focus on production efficiency and cheese yield because our milk goes to a cheese plant and uh, we need to have the components along with uh, some high uh, milk and so uh, the, the, then the other two factors are sustainability and fertility and so we concentrate very heavily on production efficiency sustainability and fertility. And uh, the part that's more exciting right now in how you can breed dairy cattle, I think, is that production efficiency, because we're starting as an industry to uh, not only look at fat, protein, body weight, composite, but really concentrate on feed intake and trying to get get maybe more of a green cow, so to speak, in this industry that, that uh, produces more milk on less feed and generates less uh, output on the other end as far as, uh, uh, you know, uh, greenhouse effect uh, that you wanna look at. So I think those are the things uh, that we look at right now and, you know, utilizing the sex semen on our virgin heifers and breeding for so many pregnancies to maintain herd size. So those are all the talking points that most people are doing right now in the industry. And I think by doing that, it will allow us as an industry, uh, to have uh, more functional, high-valued animals uh, a little bit faster because we're looking at, uh, you know, taking care of those uh, better cows and keeping that genetics flowing on, on the better animal side. And, and uh, I think that's something that will really help all dairy producers uh, in, in the world, really, uh, to do that uh, and maintain profitability. So... Yeah, really working hard with GenX uh, on that. It's been an exciting ride with the with them.
0: Well, GenX uh, is a great partner to mention at this point because that's where a lot of your off-farm leadership has been through is with GenX, CRI, and Euris now. Can you take us through that progression of leadership that you've held with these different organizations over the years or what your current involvement is as well?
1: yeah i i will do that i because i think that really helped to shape our business uh because you know i as i mentioned earlier went to farm and industry short course so just basically two years of formal education after high school and i now i always have said this that my college education came when i became involved in agriculture beyond the farm and so my time at professional dairy producers uh, from 2000 and 2001 to 2006, I really came to know the key agriculture stakeholders in Wisconsin, and I was able to learn from private and corporate businesses through these experiences, and it's really helped to expand my thinking and my knowledge of the industry. Uh, so that that was very very uh, helpful at that time and. And uh, I'm a kind of you could say an old timer on the Gen X board because I started in 1989, probably the youngest guy on there uh, at that time, and, and uh, worked through the whole process of, of modernization and mergers and acquisitions and all those different things. And we came to the point in 1993 uh, that we formed CRI, and uh, that was uh, quite a feat at the time, really, uh, because there never at at any point in time, there was a holding cooperative amongst in the cooperative field. And that was something new. And uh, the formation, of CRI, as we know, brought two co-ops together. It was 21st Century Genetics, uh, the earlier name, uh, obviously later to be named GenX, along with uh, AgSource, who their previous name was Wisconsin DHIA. Something or other, so you know all those different names uh, in the past. Uh, now that we kind of forget what they really are, but uh, you know what that did was it it allowed uh, the cooperative to uh, concentrate a little bit more and and to and to bring business synergies together, and it really brought a new life to the cooperative uh, with what we were able to achieve uh, through CRI and. Uh, you know, uh, over 25 years, we were within the CRI business model uh, in the cooperative, and uh, we came and developed into a an industry leader at, at that time. And I, in in uh, 2015, the industry started talking about consolidating again. You know, because of the fast speed of where agriculture is headed, and and uh, that consolidation kind of was occurring again uh, and, and we looked at as a cooperative every artificial insemination company in the, in the US and we talked to some uh, partners uh, around the world looking at what can we do and, and uh, we kinda came uh, into discussions then uh, with uh, Wine and Pond with his Alta Genetics and Valley Egg Software uh, company and uh, quickly, uh, uh, boy, this is a pretty good fit. Uh, but again, you know, it was an industry's first cooperative and a private company uh, pulling together to form Eurus. And uh, wow, uh, we worked really hard uh, to take care of that. Uh, we became uh, partners and, and merged together in 2018. And uh, it's just for the last few years have been a great run uh, for both organizations. Because back to my point with CRI the synergies that you can bring uh, together uh, within a company and, uh, and now we can allow a corporation and a cooperative synergies and man that's big uh, to be able to bring the minds together from two structures that that is re- uh, very very helpful uh, to uh, moving this business forward yeah, uh, it, it really is, and uh, you know, and and I've learned uh, uh, to grow uh, some deep respect uh, for for Wine and Pond and his daughter Fanya and the team that they've developed uh, there at Coupon Holdings, and uh, and I think uh, that's that's something that you can't take away from me personally either, it it uh, because I worked really hard to get this. Uh, Consolidation, working with the cooperative and trying to bring all these things uh, together for both organizations and and uh, the whole group, really, uh, between the two companies, uh, it, just, it just seemed to mesh. And I don't, you know, we're all farmers, right? And uh, what do farmers do? Uh, you, you roll up your sleeves and you get the job done. And uh, that's what we did and uh, you know, continually growing and learning about uh, international business. That's really exciting for me as a dairy producer uh, to learn and understand uh, what the international business model looks like a little deeper because we are with URIS now and we are with an international business partner uh, that works globally.
0: Yeah, we got to talk to Mr. Pond last year when he was the 2020 International Person of the Year, uh, which we recognized in the fall, and such an incredible man to talk to. I enjoyed our conversation about his life story as well. And I can see why you would want to align yourself with someone like him and his companies to move forward.
1: Yeah, it really was a good fit because it, you know, we, uh, it almost was like, too good to be true because we, we uh, in it, right away, we respected each other's opinions and places within, within the organizational structure. And, and uh, you know, and it, we had to learn as a cooperative how to work in the corporate world, and they had to know and understand cooperatives. So it's been a great teaching thing back and forward here, really. Uh, for all of us. It's, it's just it's just great.
0: So I'm guessing you're doing a lot of traveling with this role that you're still involved with. And you're, you mentioned learning more about the international side of the dairy industry. Are there pieces that you're bringing back home to the farm that you're learning abroad through these roles that you're still serving in today?
1: Yeah, there are many things that, that you learn and bring being back uh, to the business. And I There are just a couple of things that really come to mind, really, that uh, you need to think big and bold, right? Because uh, thinking beyond your local area where you live and work and, and understanding what is out there in the world that you can utilize to maybe change and make your business better. And working through all of these organizational structures around the world allowed me... Uh, to think and manage a little more by consensus because I've led the board of directors through processes. I've talked with many AI companies in in, in other parts of the world and, and a lot of farmers and and you have to allow yourself to to be one of them and to and to look at at, at them as a friend and and a and a colleague to work through uh, challenges. So. And not being afraid to swim upstream sometimes, right? Okay, so we really paddled, paddled hard through our expansion days uh, in our farm, and and we paddled hard upstream through the consolidation processes here. So you always have to not be afraid to swim upstream. And and another point, I think that bring you come back to your dairy as as well as you know make the hard decisions, even though many others disagree with you. And sometimes those decisions are the right ones that take a little time to develop. Right? So we didn't build our dairy business in two years and you don't build relationships with other companies around the world. I mean, uh, 25 years ago, we were talking with folks in Germany and France and I still have friends that I find that are still on those boards that I saw like last year, uh, we met up with some of those guys and was like, yeah, the only difference is we got gray hair now, <laughs> and, uh, but we're still working in the same organizational structure and trying to work with dairymen, right? So uh, it, uh, that, it, those are things that, that are, are really exciting uh,
0: and, and
1: help you to think big picture and, and bring back to where your business needs to be here in the U.S.
0: So I started doing the math in my head, and I'm realizing that you were getting involved with Gen X before you started expanding at the farm, and while you were still fairly young, how did you choose or why did you choose to make that commitment off the farm while you're still incredibly busy growing the business at home? And how how did you balance that?
1: Yeah, that, those are some tough days, I guess, right? Yeah, so yeah, in 18, 1989, we were with the traditional dairy farm yet, so my dad did the chores when I left, and my dad always was involved in cooperatives too, with local cooperatives. He served on Farmland Industries board for years, and so uh, I knew kind of what I was getting into, and and uh, Gen X redistricted at the time uh, when in, in my early 30s and they asked me if I wanted to run for the board and I said, sure. Didn't know that I'd be uh, in it for this long, uh, but it, it's an incredible ride. And and uh, you know, you, your one of your questions was, how could you balance being involved through a growth phase of your business? And uh, actually it, it allowed me to grow easier because I had mentors uh, throughout the industry, okay? So probably 2001, to when I was on PDPW's board, I mean, those there was a lot of folks uh, that I served with that were expanding their dairies at the same time. So we had a lot of common challenges to work through, and, uh, you know, so, so that was... That was really good uh, uh, for us and and the other side of it uh, not not having much informal education in developing a business model looking at how the cooperative executives work through processes and uh financial and business planning and all those things allowed me to see that aspect of business and so in essence, yeah, it was a lot of meetings gone from home and a lot of late nights getting ready before and after. But in, in, at the end of the day, it probably was a good thing because it it just allowed you to grow and see things from a different light.
0: In all of the things that you've accomplished so far in your career, John, what do you consider to be your greatest accomplishment?
1: Oh, I think my greatest accomplishment uh, was uh, developing my family uh, and marrying my, my wife, uh, Karen, and having four kids and seeing those uh, uh, kids grow up and, and the grandkids. So I guess uh, that that would probably be first and foremost. But on the farm side, uh, the greatest accomplishments were uh, would be taking Taking the farm and the family legacy for, that my grandfather developed uh, and could see that uh, developed through my parents and through me. And now we're doing that through our daughter Jamie and her husband Dave and their two kids, Zach and Ava. And, uh, you know, we had four children, and our youngest decided to farm uh, with us, come back to the business, and we were really happy five, six years ago when that happened. And so, so I think family and the farm legacy uh, things are, are really uh, what my, you know, that, that's kind of a great culmination to a career uh, here, I'm, uh, you know, turning 66 in June. And uh, ironically, that was the uh, age that my father was in 1996 when we started this expansion process. And uh, where did that time go, right? From that time period till now, and uh, you know, growing and developing a business that still has some room for expansion and and uh, technology changes, and and having the the ability to see a few more of those things through, pretty exciting for me.
0: So you've gone through succession planning and and transitions both on your way in, and I'm guessing kind of. As you're transitioning your daughter and son-in-law in, what have you found to be the the key to success in having a successful farm transition?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a loaded question, right? Yeah, because uh, um, yeah, I've been on both sides of that family transition because when I came in with my dad, you know, it was like you know I was a young guy and now I'm the old guy passing it on, right? And so, uh, but it was a little easier, I think with my, my dad, because we, it's all we ever did was work together. And he knew how I thought, and we just kind of, we, we work, you know, as a team and, and, uh, he was a patient man and a great teacher and got me started with it. And, and, uh, one of the challenges, I think the difference between the two, uh, our daughter and, and son-in-law, Jamie and Dave, they had, uh, professional careers prior to coming home. And so they, uh, you know their approach to the business is different than mine and how they how they act and react to things and so yeah i had to learn and understand uh what what it'll take to to allow them to be successful in here and and uh you know uh i think you need patience and understanding from each other's needs and positions and allowing yourself to do that, uh, accepting that the next generation is different to their life and business thinking, and they wouldn't really be in agriculture if they had to do what I did to get where I am. Because not not saying that they they're lazy or anything, but you know their life is just different. Twenty five years later, and and their children's life will be different twenty five years from now, right? So uh, it it just. It's just there and having patience, being open-minded, teaching and allow yourself to be taught by the next generation, I think is important. And uh, you know, it is tough to give up control because you created what you have in 25 years and you were the decision maker and the buck stopped with you. And uh, now you have to know uh, when your successor's ready to take on more challenges and, you know, find that right balance between your sweat equity, their sweat equity, and the style of business uh, that you want to have and move on with the transition. But anyone tells you it's an easy approach and an easy process, it's it's certainly not. Uh, and it takes, uh, takes a lot of uh, give and take on both parties, to be honest with you, and maybe a little more on the party that's uh, transitioning out. That's probably the hardest thing for me is to let go of a lot of things. <laughs> Even though I had, you know, we had people doing a lot of the work, but again, the decisions were always mine. You made them and you moved on. And, uh, and now you have to let somebody else make decisions. So not easy, but I think all of us get through it, right? And uh, we're better for
0: it. Absolutely. So one last thing, John, I'm going to have you wrap this all up with one piece of advice you would give a young person who's just starting out as a dairy farmer.
1: Never be afraid of success. Take the failures in life and learn from them. One of the points that I was told as a young cooperative leader, uh, from Tom Lyon uh, from GenX or 21st Century Genetics. He said, always be yourself. Don't uh, be afraid to re- read and learn as much as you can. And uh, if you can be yourself and, and allow yourself to take what, what you're good at and give it, I think uh, is important. So never give up if it seems impossible. Always dig deep to find solutions create a team and learn from each other and your life and successes are only as good as you make it. And I tell my grandkids this, and then I, I told when my daughters when they got married, be proud of who you are and where you came from. Because if you can do that, uh, you can be successful in anything that you do. So those it may be more than one piece of advice, but uh, It's some advice that uh, I I think about a lot and uh, it's helped me along the way as well.
0: I would say all incredible advice and and definitely words worth hearing. And so I just want to say thank you, John, for taking the time to talk with me today. I look forward to meeting you in person at Expo this fall and of course celebrating you and your recognition as the 2022 Dairy Producer of the Year. So thank you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com.